you ever wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Do you feel you had good sex education growing up? If you said no, you're in the majority of people. Did you even see the recent New York Times article that half the world has a clitoris? Why don't doctors study it? It included two of our recent podcast guests, Dr. Rachel Rubin, and was written by Rachel Gross. It's troubling to know how little research and information is available about female sexual health. Combine that with childbirth and the lack of under information and understanding of how sexual pleasure can ease labor pain and enhance birth is a huge gap for both providers and expectant parents. My guest today is here to change that. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. My guest today is both a friend and a colleague. Dr. Mary Jo Podgorski is a nurse educator, a counselor, author, and speaker of more than 900 local, national, and international workshops and trainings. Whoa. She's a past Lamaze International president and has been a childbirth educator since the 1970s. She's also an American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists certified as a sexuality educator and sexuality counselor. Dr. Mary Jo is the creator of the 12 books in the Nani series on the challenging topics of death, consent, disability, gender, sex, trauma, relationships, mental health, quarantine, race, pregnancy, birth, and puberty. She's authored 38 books, like, wow, everyone, 38 books. And I have to tell you, having followed her work for years, each one is so incredible. These books are for parents, young people, and professional. And she's author of the Rutledge Press, Reclaiming the Sexuality of Pregnancy, Birth, and Postpartum, that's pending publication in 2023 a book I am anxiously awaiting. And it's the first book that I know of that's really bringing together sexuality of childbirth and sexuality in this important and essential way. So welcome, Mary Jo. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you, my friend. What a glowing introduction. I hope I can live up to it. How beautiful, but that is who you are. You are a beautiful oh. spirit. Oh. I am so honored to be where I am. And I have to tell you that the other day I actually posted this on social media, that it is such a peaceful feeling to know that you're meant to be doing what you're doing. And I I am getting old. I absolutely have. It's really interesting, Deborah. I'm see, I see a lot of young people via Zoom since the pandemic. And I, I have a new 12-year-old that I met a couple of weeks ago. And I, at the end of the session, I said, so how do you feel? And he said, well, I didn't think I'd click with an old lady, but you're really chill. So even though I am an old lady, 
I am still chill. What you said, and I love, love the New York Times article, I have lived this experience. One of my books is called Inside Out. Your body is amazing inside and out and belongs only to you. And it's about sexual abuse prevention. It's for little people and parents. And in the schools that we have it being taught, some of them will not allow, there's a little page on anatomy, and some of them will not allow the word clitoris to be on there. Penis can be on there, but not clitoris. I don't that know what that says. So, right. And just shocking, really, that in this day and age that we have such a gap in right. really understanding our bodies and really being able to talk about Right. And the messages we give to children, the messages we give to children, especially people with clitorises. If a person with a penis is in the tub, those of you who have parents or who have seen little people whenever they're old enough to touch things, the first thing they find are their genitals, they're very, very powerful toys that are right on top of them. And people often say the very same words in doing bath time, whenever children grab their parts. And they'll say to little boys, don't touch that and hand over a ducky. And they'll say the same thing to little girls. But the tone, the music behind the words is so different. Little boys are told, here, play with this instead with a lilting, laughing tone. And sometimes people will even say, look at him, look what he's, look at that, right? But little girls get a very strong, demanding command, don't touch that kind of a thing. And that carries on, it carries on forever, unfortunately. and. Birth is sexual, you know that, I don't have to tell you this, but it is part of sexuality. And yet for the whole childbearing year, we pretend we're asexual, where we go from real humans with sexual needs and pleasure desires to Madonnas, because we're pregnant. And that's, to me, not just sad, it's demeaning to the humanity of women. It's demeaning to the humanity of people with clitorises, because why are they there? <laughs> I mean, they're the only body part, as you know, this for pleasure. It has no other function except to make the person who has the clitoris feel really good. And so we don't do that. And it, if people can be taught that self-pleasure is okay, no matter their gender identity, no matter their body parts, if they can figure out that oh, sexuality is holistic, it isn't just penetration with a body part or with a toy. It is all of who we are, it's touch, it's intimacy, it's relationships, it's oh, feeling belonging and safe and warm. And one piece of that is actual sex. And sex is such a gamut. Postpartum, too many providers say don't have sex. Don't have what kind of sex? Did you tell me what I should or should not do? Just don't have sex. And people don't listen to that. I've been a nurse too long to know. People don't wait for the six week checkup. But nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, seldom do providers say, I don't want you to have any vaginal penetration because people need to have why. What's the reason I shouldn't do that? And there are other expressions in sexuality that is so powerful. It's just, yeah. There's an area that I'm passionate about reaching people about. And that basically is just the message I give to children. Your body is amazing. It is, and it's yours and you should have consent for anything that involves it. Yeah. 
So, so beautiful how you kind of came full circle on that too. So I just have to ask you, because you've been doing this so long and you're bringing such important messages to children, to parents, to all people that are, you know, ready to get pregnant. How did you begin? Can you just share a little bit about what brought you here? Sure. It was a very wonderful story, actually. I started out as a peds nurse at Children's Hospital, and then I got married and in 1973 moved to New York City and worked in peds oncology at Sloan Kettering and saw a significant number of deaths. The children I worked with were very, very sick. Um, We had primary nursing there, which is a phenomenal way to do care. So I had a number of young people that were my primary patients. I had to know how they liked their hamburgers, what games they liked, not just what their chemo was, right? When we left there, I thought I was done with death and I wanted to work with birth. But that would be, I was wrong. I ended up doing hospice again. But When I started working with birth, I went through the MOS, got certified as a childbirth educator. Within three classes, I realized I had teens in my classes. They didn't belong there. There were all kinds of wonderful couples there, most of whom looked like they were happy, even if they weren't, right, doing the class. And then I'd have this 15-year-old who sometimes had a partner and sometimes was by herself. And so I took my classes and I split them. I had adult classes that I charged for, and I had teen classes that were free. And... When I taught the teens, I saw a whole different experience, and that was 70s. So I volunteered with teen parents for 20 years until I got funding to do that. We still do that work. So the story that made me get into sexuality and a sexual awareness of birth was one of those teens. I was a doula for a 12-year-old. She had a 19-hour labor. It was before epidurals. I had very little time with her. I met her in a home visit. She had her blanket over her head. She didn't even want to look at me the first time we met. Second time, she at least let me see her face. There was no third time. She called me and said, and I quote, ain't nobody going with me. So I said, you want me to come to the hospital? I can be your door. I don't care. So I said to my husband, I'll be back in a couple hours. 19 hours later, I came back home and I was eight months pregnant with my first child at the time. By the time I was done with this 19 hours, I wasn't sure I wanted to have a baby myself. But I also knew how wrong it was that this 12-year-old was enduring this. She decided not to keep the baby because she said that she didn't want the baby to have a life she had had. This was an incestuous pregnancy. And she didn't even want to see the baby. So I, the babies were whisked out of the room. She didn't want to know if it was a boy or girl. I took pictures and six months later, I did show her when she asked me, but I came home that day and said to my husband, I'm going to talk to kids about sex. Poor soul. He should have run fast. But (laughs) I started the teen outreach in 1988 and my staff and I have taught a quarter million kids sex ed. And when you said in the beginning, if you didn't have sex ed, that's most people. And even if you had sex ed, you usually didn't have the kind of sex ed that I believe in. I focus on connection, relationships, communication, self-worth. People worry about sex ed way too much when they stop. They don't stop and think about sexuality as part of who we are. It is. So I moved from that and I connected it with the birth work I was doing as a birth advocate. And it took me a hot minute to realize that we could use health in the birthing community with sexuality. That was an easy jump. And it if you've seen people have 
orgasmic birth as you have. And you promoted it so beautifully, Deborah. Thank you. You know that the body is meant to do this, right? And yes. we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that those of us who are birth advocates and Lamaze educators and childbirth doulas, all those wonderful folks know the body's meant to do it. But sometimes the sexual piece gets, I don't know, there's like a synapse, but that's cultural. Our culture doesn't handle sex well. And so to say to people, you know, during your pregnancy, self-pleasure may be something that you would enjoy. And maybe you and your partner could have mutual pleasure. If you're not allowed to have anything more than that, you can still do that. I teach sex ed as part of my childbirth classes. I start in the first class. I don't wait to the end and casually bring it up. I weave it through the whole series because it's part of the whole of us, right? Totally. It's part of who we are part of who we are. So denying that, I'll tell you another real quick story. When I taught my first childbirth class way back when, I taught it to my mom first. And my mama, she died in 96 and she was born in 1912. And I wanted an audience and I loved her desperately. And she was such a good mama. So I taught her my whole class. And when I was done, she was, Deborah, she didn't say a word the whole time. And I thought, I'm really bad at this. This is bad. What am I doing wrong? So when I finished and I, I stopped, I said, Mama, did you like that? She got the weirdest look on her face and she said, honey, do other women know this? She didn't know she had three openings in her vulva. She didn't know oh the word God. vulva. She didn't know a single thing about her body. And there she was, an adult, learning this from her daughter. So I've been on a mission to empower people to love their bodies for a very long time. You really have. And thank you so much for your stories and just how much work you have done for so many others to really bring sexual health and birth together. So I want to ask you, with this kind of history where so many people, and I love the story of your mama too, and being able to educate her about her body, what are some of the things for the people that are listening today that are pregnant, what are some tips that you could give to them on how they could bring in their sexuality and sexual pleasure to prepare for birth, to use that as something to enhance and ease their labor pain? First of all, no one knows what another person feels. So when I make a statement about this might help, that's based on typical folks. Each of you who is listening needs to know that your own body is your own body. I've never been a sin person. My papa was the sweetest human ever. I had such good parents. And he told me when I was in fifth grade and started gaining weight during puberty that God had given me this container of my body and he would not have given me the wrong container to walk in. And so I have always loved my body. I have always thought this is a good, I'm walking in this. This is a good body. So the first hint I would give to everyone listening is acceptance of the body. We are so conditioned in our culture to want thinness as that's almost seen as beauty. But in reality, that is not the case. And a pregnant body, wow, it's glorious. But I understand that folks have been conditioned to look in the mirror. I did the same thing. I remember a slip. Well, nobody wears petticoats anymore. But I remember a slip that was navy blue that was expensive and I didn't spend much money on things like that. And I loved it. I got it as a movie wood. And here when I was pregnant, it didn't fit one day. And I sat down on the bed and cried about this stupid slip. 
first step to sexuality awareness and sensuality acceptance is saying, wow, this body is amazing. Look at it making a baby. Look at how beautiful it is. Look at how the uterus grows. Look at how the body stretches. It's not wrong. It's not fat, although fat's not a bad word. It's magnificent. So that's the first step. Own it. Love it. Second, some women are not orgasmic by self-pleasure. They never learn to do that. It's been so conditioned not to touch yourself. I'm going to repeat what I've said many times before. Why else is the clitoris here? It has no other body function. So my recommendation, find a place where you're safe, with or without a partner. Make sure that you're not stressed. People aren't bothering you. Put on maybe some music that you like, although that's very individual too, and explore a little bit. Touch. Your body will react, I promise. If you've not had a self-pleasure orgasm, the first one can scare you a little bit because it can be very intense. It can leave you going, oh, because you didn't expect that. But think about what you've been given. That body of yours can give you such pleasure without anything or anybody else. You don't need anybody else. You just have you. So that's my second hint. Figure out your body. Trust yourself. Touch until it feels good. And what feels good for one person is different from what feels good for another. Always stop if it doesn't feel good. Have no expectations. You're not in a porn movie. You don't have to perform. Let your body relax into it. I always recommend some light breathing if this is new to you. And I typically think when I breathe, when I went through chemo, I would say this breath. As I inhaled, I would think, you're here at the right time. And as I exhaled, I would think you're going to be fine. So I did that sometimes off and on for five hours of chemo. You're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. When you're pregnant, this pregnancy is miraculous. My body is fine. I'm okay feeling pleasure. My pleasure is good. I don't need anyone else to feel pleasure. Those are the kinds of things that are affirmations. That's the second thing. Figure yourself out. Third thing is if you have a partner that you trust, and I sincerely hope you do, involve that partner. Because you make babies because you love someone usually. Not always. And that's another thing I have to say, Deborah. I'm deeply aware of the fact that sexual abuse is part of conception. Sexual assault can be part of conception. We have a different approach here at my outreach to teens who have had assault. Their pregnancies and births are more challenging in many ways. I had one 15-year-old who told me she didn't feel a single thing in labor. And her entire pelvis area had been so shut down from the abuse she'd endured. This is an uplifting podcast, but I can't speak about sexuality without mentioning the reality. Not everyone consented. I'm very careful with language. Um, I don't like the term non-consensual sex. That's just rape. All sex has to have consent every time. So if you're listening and you do have that partner, that partner that you want to share this with, involve this person. If this is a person that's a lover, seeing you happy in your body makes them happy in their bodies. Really good sexual connection isn't about two beautiful people looking like they're in a video. It's about two normal human beings, laughing, making mistakes, figuring out what to do, learning through each other. So that's my third suggestion. 
let your partner be part of the experience if it is the right partner and you are so inclined. My fourth one, and this is out of five, talk to your provider, please talk to your provider. When I had hysterectomy, I said to my surgeon, I would like very much for you to be do some nerve sparing surgery. I would like you not to mess up my clitoris. I thought, you just thought I had hit her in the, in the stomach. I said, I, I would like to have the same kind of orgasms after I have the surgery. And she said, your sexual activity level will be the same after you have the surgery. I said, I didn't ask you about sexual activity. I asked you about orgasms. I said, I know they're going to be different because my uterus will be gone and it can't pulsate when I have an orgasm. But I want to know that my clitoris still works. Can you be careful with that? She actually sat down. She said, nobody's ever, ever asked me that. I said, well, that's a darn shame. Talk to your provider. You may have to teach them. You may have to say, I know my body. I know what eases my pain. I've been exploring self-pleasure. Do you think I could use that in labor? Because I'd really like to. And to do that, you have to be in a place where you feel, remember the things I said, safe, protected, not embarrassed, surrounded by those who accept and love and nurture and honor your worth. That's number four. Number five is the easiest one. Let it happen. I love all of them. But the number five, you got me. Like, let it happen. What a profound statement. And- just thank you for sharing every bit of that. And I appreciate you honoring and providing such guidance for those that are survivors and for your own story, which just doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me that someone that was a doctor that was doing hysterectomies, that you were the first person that talked about maintaining that clitoral pleasure. And I love your tip. I have to say this, that for everyone listening, if it feels right to you to be able to say to your provider that you have a self-pleasure practice and you'd like to bring it to birth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge thing that I'm sure people are listening and going, wow, like, can I say that? Do I feel safe enough with my provider? And what will my provider say to that? So let's take it a step deeper because these were incredible tips for in pregnancy and getting us things that we can bring to birth. And I know as an educator, as you've been bringing these tips to your classes for many years, what are some of the things you recommend actually in labor and birth that people can do that can connect that sexuality and help them, as I would say, have that orgasmic birth or a Absolutely. birth filled with pleasure? Absolutely. First thing, don't forget about your body. Don't think you're a vagina. Okay. You're not just a vagina. So what gives comfort touch often, except some people in labor have been a doula for decades. Some people don't want to be touched. Of course, you have to listen to your body and listen to the person you're supporting if you're a support person listening to this. But massage, hand massage, foot massage, back massage, stroking, I really like when I'm scared or in pain, when someone that I care about caresses me on the cheek. I know that sounds like a small thing, but my, the hand on my face Sometimes I'll just hold the hand to my face when I've been in distress and because I've had some really decent pain in the last several years. And I don't like to take analgesics because it foggies my brain. I don't, that's mean I haven't taken them. I've had to, but 
the comfort of my partner, he will come and sit beside me when I'm in distress and just take one hand and put the other hand on my cheek. And if you don't think that's sexual, you've never had that happen to you. Okay. So yes, those are simple things and you don't even have to have privacy for those. If you want to get into self-pleasure, I do think you have to talk with your provider beforehand. And the body parts that are most eroticized in regular life and in birth are the same. Except that birth and pregnancy can change your perception of how you feel. But the neck, around the neck, right under the ears, very sensual, very erotic place. The nipples, nipples are sensitive when you're breastfeeding. They're also sensitive during pregnancy. But the areola, the place around the nipple is not as sensitive. Cupping under the breast, comforting the person by holding that body part. Words are important. Saying things like, my body is wonderfully made. Having a partner say, you are so beautiful right now. And going the second step and say, I've never seen a sexier person than you at this moment. Giving a baby life. And then, of course, we have the belly and the genitals. Effleurage is something we learned in early Lamas, touching the belly. It's not particularly sexual, but it is very sensual. And then, of course, the vulva, the perineum. Those areas are high-charged, phenomenally supercharged during birth. I warm, warm compresses on that area, very peaceful, very comforting. If you can have labor in a warm tub, that's even nicer. The idea being that anything that gives the person comfort within reason is what you do. And just, I shouldn't say just, this is powerful. Giving permission for that person to let her body have an orgasm. Sometimes it has to be articulated in words. Sometimes it has to be. Letting it go, letting it happen. If you think of mammals when they birth, they would never be able to birth the way we do in hospitals. If we put them in a bad situation where they're scared, everything would stop. They'd need Pitocin. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, that helps a lot. And I really think that's such important advice. And I loved, I could just, I had to touch my face when you did that because mm -hmm. the thought of that, that caress and that love and that we can think about that in labor in so many ways that right. we can involve our sensuality and sexuality. So Mary Jo, I could like keep going forever, right? You have so much wisdom, but I want to ask you, you for your last, what are some last tips that you would like to give to someone that may be preparing for a birth and how they can take all this wisdom, not only to their birth, and it may be another tip there, or maybe even into the postpartum, yeah. where again, sexuality can be left off the table. Thank you for leading me there. I was going to go there as my last thing is postpartum. I've interviewed hundreds of people, and many of them told me how much they their sexual experiences changed after birth. And part of that is real and normal. And part of it is because of our expectations. And once again, it's about communication. If you're connected with the right person, using your words, using your body language to say, this is what I need. This is what will get me to a place of comfort. You have to articulate. Sometimes you have to articulate the obvious. 
I always use spaghetti sauce as an analogy. You'll laugh at me because I'm so Italian. But <laughs> if you have a nana who makes really good Italian spaghetti sauce, and we don't call it sauce, we call it gravy. But if you make really the really good stuff, and say so you love it, and then that wonderful person goes on vacation, and someone else is cooking, and they make not really good stuff. It's not healthy, tasty. Yeah, you don't like it. If you love the second person, do you say? I don't like this. Or do you just put up with it rather than hurt them? And we do that with sex. People endure, I've done sexuality counseling since the 80s. People endure really horrible sexual experiences with partners because they love the partner and they don't want to hurt them. But what I explain is if you say to the new person cooking, let's do this together. We'll put a little basil, some garlic, a little extra spice. Let's fix this so it's good for both of us. You get a better sauce. If you do that with sex, if you say, I really like this, I really need this. What do you really need? What do you really like? You really get a better relationship and a better sexual experience. And we need to think as our childbearing year from the pregnancy conception all the way through birth and postpartum as a year in our lives and don't take away the sexual peace don't separate it out we are sexual forever i have to say i love the sauce analogy as you know i come from a big italian family too you had me actually smelling my nonna's sauce <laughs> in the process but such important on the way that we communicate. And I'm going to ask you one other thing about postpartum, because I get asked all the time that people are worried about this expectation that intercourse, if that's their choice, should return at six weeks. And can you just talk about when people are ready for different aspects of their sexuality in postpartum? It's interesting. This morning I was on a, a workshop that I do for sexuality education for people with different ability. And I was saying to these individuals that I was training, you know, if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person. So let me clarify, if there's one person postpartum, that's that one person postpartum. And intercourse should start when that person is ready and their partner is ready and is, there's no time frame. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that the body's ready at six weeks. Emotionally, physically, maybe people are ready at two, weeks. And it's remembering that sexuality and sexual expression is not just penetration, that there are many other ways to be orgasmic that don't involve inserting something into a vagina. Some folks don't have vaginas and they have lovely, pleasurable sex. So it's important to remember that we are whole. We're all one piece. Mr. Rogers said, we are all one piece, mind, body, spirit. So if we want to have a positive postpartum experience, we want to add to the relationship we have. We want to grow it. We want to relax about it. No expectations. There'll be a moment when you feel like you used to in a different way because you're a parent. You will still feel sexual. How do you think people make number two, number three, number four? You'll be sexual. Again, I keep saying this word all your life, forever you'll be sexual. I do a workshop on handling sexuality after breast cancer. And I think it's important that people realize that even after bilateral mastectomies like I had, you're still a sexual person. You just have to look at it a little bit differently. You have to grow and let it happen. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Mary Jo. These were such incredible nuggets. I feel I'm going to listen again. And I think some of our listeners, you gave us so many gems. So I know people are probably saying, how can they reach you? Do you have websites, social? I do, I do have us. website. Should I put it in the chat? Would that be the best? No, you can today? just say it out loud okay. and we'll put okay. it in all the show notes. Okay. So my my own website is www.drmaryjoepodgorski.com. It's easy to remember. My teen outreach website is www.healthyteens.com. And my email, which I do not mind you giving out, I really don't. That's why I'm here. Is P-O-D-M-J at healthyteens.com. That's all one word. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-T-E-E-N-S.com. And I do focus on young people. However, my sexuality counseling has always been for adults. And these will be in the show notes. So if you're listening, make sure you go back to those show notes. And I have to ask you one last thing. Tell us a little bit more about your book that's coming out. I am just so excited. And I know that all of us are going to want to get a copy. Thank you. Well, I interviewed you for it, my dear friend. So you'll be part of it. The word, the reason I chose the word reclaiming is because I think that's what we have to do is something that we have, but has been taken from us. And I'm targeting a whole lot of different wonderful people. I want to reach providers. I want to reach social workers. I want to reach educators. I want to reach human beings who may have been experiencing a pregnancy. So it's a textbook, but it's readable. It involves surveys I've done of people pre and post birth, of people experiencing orgasmic birth, although that's a smaller number, but I do have some of those, of people who had challenges postpartum. It I've developed a a model for sexual health during pregnancy that I'm excited about sharing with people that talks about what we need as humans to become sexually aware, sexually healthy, and have pleasure. And some of the things we need are not easily given. We need support. We need communication. We need education. So we know what our bodies, like my mama, We know how our bodies work. I'm excited about it. It's been a labor of love. Writing a textbook while you you have health challenges is hard sometimes. I didn't really think that chemo brain was real. And it is. Because some of the stuff I wrote in the midst of the hardest chemo, I went back and went, oh, I have to rewrite all of that. That doesn't make any sense. But it's we're targeting 2023. It's the Rutledge Press. It's going to be a fun book. And my Nani book on sex is also great. Those of you who are pregnant, please think about introducing your children to the beauty of their own body. Do not be afraid to teach them the words vulva and penis. Please don't focus just on a vagina. Not that they're not important, but my grandbabies know the word vulva, even though they're very small. Some adult people don't know the word vulva. Be open with your babies. Let them become self-aware and figure out how to incorporate their sexual health into their growing self-worth. Beautiful word for us to end on. Thank you so much, Dr. Mary Jo. I'm going to be, we'll all be thinking about you on your health journey. And I hope that you'll come back when your book releases and share more with us of your wisdom and nuggets from your book as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe. Thank you.